Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast, episode 34. I didn't, I, for instance, I never set out to change my grading, but, but after I made clear unit plans and then I adjusted my tests to fit those, all of a sudden, like taking 10% off because something was late by a day was messing up my own data. Because so when I go into schools now and people go, well, I'm not changing my grading to be nice to kids. I go, well, I wasn't doing it for that reason either. You're listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. I'm your host, John Ruths, and I'm going to introduce you to some of the leading professionals in the fields of education, psychology, and leadership to bring you the most relevant and up-to-date tips, tricks, and tools for you to use in your classroom. Welcome to Jabadoo. What's going on, teachers and educators? Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast. And... Man, what a fun conversation I had today with Myron Dueck. He is up in British Columbia, up in Canada, um, enjoying the uh, gorgeous mountains, the gorgeous Rocky Mountains in his little town there that he's up in. Um, but man, we connected uh, really well in this conversation, and I'm just really excited for you to to listen to it. Uh, today is all about giving students a say. This is Myron's new book that is out available now uh, as of January. Uh, and this is all about um, how we as teachers can begin to uh, be smarter about the assessments that we're giving, right? Um, I, as a, as a teacher, I hate busy work, uh, and assessments sometimes feel like busy work, don't they? Um, they kind of just feel like it's something that you have to do to prove that the student gets the grade that, they're, that you're giving them at the end of the semester or at the end of the year, Um but really what, what Myron's work here is saying uh, and what his book is saying and what this conversation is all about is um, using assessments in a way that not only guides your practice, but also uh, gives a voice to the students as well. Uh, so we dive into a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh, and what I can't wait for you to listen to is his story about uh, how the Portland Trailblazers and a, a brew uh, a pub crawl or something <laughs> is what got him into uh, his work. Uh, just a fun little story there for you. Uh, before I set you loose, though, to listen to this conversation, just wanted to remind you that everything that we talk about on this episode, all of the links that were mentioned, all the resources, uh, and of course, a link to Myron's new book uh, is available on our show notes page. Uh, go check those out, jabadoo.com slash show 34. And when you get there, you'll have an opportunity to do a couple different things. One, um, you'll find links to all of our social media. We would love for you to connect with us on there, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the moment. Uh, so check those links out. Um, you can also sign up for our email newsletter. This is uh, just a really just a weekly reminder that there's a new episode out uh, as of right now. But you know, in the future, we're looking to hopefully do some more uh, exciting trainings and or videos, etc. Um, but that will just uh, keep you up to date on everything happening in the world of Jabadoo. Uh, so we would love for you to be uh, uh, subscribed to that newsletter. And then last but not least, if you want to support this podcast, uh, a couple different ways you can do it. Um, one is uh, any of the books that are mentioned on this podcast episode or any of the podcast episodes, uh, all of the links for those books are affiliate links. So if you purchase those books through uh, the Jabadoo link, the link there on the show notes page, that will just give a little kickback to us uh, to go back into producing uh, episodes like this for you. 
And then the other thing you can do is uh, we've got some Jabadoo original teacher tees. Uh, just fun little quotes that we put onto a t-shirt and it helps you uh, show off your teacher pride for dress down days or just out and about. So uh, check out the link to those. Again, everything is on the show notes page at jabadoo.com slash show 34. All right, let's get into my conversation with Myron Dueck. All right, on today's episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast, my guest has gained teaching and administrative experience in both Canada and in New Zealand in subjects and grades ranging from 4 to 12. He has developed a number of grading, assessment, and reporting systems and has shared his stories, tools, and firsthand experience with public, charter, and international school educators around the world. His best-selling book, Grading Smarter, Not Harder, was released by ASCD Publishing in July of 2014, and he's followed up here in January, just released his second book titled Giving Students a Say, Smarter Assessment Practices to Empower and Engage. Myron Dweck, how are you? Or Dweck, excuse me. Ooh, well, you know, I, I, I'll take either one. Your second, <laughs> your second swing at that pronunciation was, I would say, more accurate, um, which we can get into accuracy later. Uh, but, but no, you Dweck, uh, Dweck. Uh, it's it's been both. But if but if 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 you bumped into my family, they they'd say Dweck. Dweck, yeah. Uh, and of course, Dweck is, uh, you know, the, the name Dweck is in my head from all the, all the work around mindset that, uh, Dr. Carol Dweck has done. So, uh, my apologies on that. Yes. Dweck, <laughs> but oh, thank, no problem. But to answer you. your question, John, I'm doing great. And, uh, thanks for the invite. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, assessment and grading is something that we all do all the time, but I have not had an episode dedicated to it yet. So um, I'm really excited to to dive into uh, this conversation with you and, and talk about all the work that you've done in it. Uh, but before we get to that, let's take a step back and learn who sure. Myron Dueck <laughs> was as a student. Uh, what were some of your experiences um, and you know, how did you get on the path that you're taking? Oh, it's funny. You know, I, I have not been asked a question like that, but you know, I, I went to arguably one of the smallest schools on the planet. I graduated <laughs> with 13 other people, oh, um, goodness. small little school, rural farming community in Southern Manitoba. So we were, uh, I wrote an article on, about missile silos recently because I was relating my my experience of living close to North Dakota, Manitoba, North Dakota border. And, um, you know, we were kind of uh, this epicenter for nuclear silos right along that section of the border. Not that I want to, you know, bring in the too much of the eighties <laughs> nostalgia, but, but I, I, I was a small school K to K to 12, um, attended all my, all my schooling there. Myron was a very middle of the road, uh, student. He kind of picked up his, his socks a little bit near the end of, of, <laughs> you know, grade 12. Um, then I went on to university and did much better in university than I did in, in public school, which so I'm a bit of an anomaly that way. Most people see a bit of a great drop according to the uh, statistics out there, but, but I didn't. Um, in fact, uh, it did so well that I got some scholarships when I got to the university of Manitoba and kind of carried on from there. Um, probably John, the best school story I have, if I could kind of, yeah, go for it. I would love to hear it. Yeah. So, so, uh, we were big into volleyball. I, uh, my, our school was a kind of a, 
volleyball mecca, at least for its size. We competed against a lot of bigger schools. And anyway, my friends and I would often hound the principal for the school key when, you know, wind swept snow, you know, it's almost like planet Hoth where we were growing up because it was like <laughs> cold and blistery. Well, we, and if we didn't have a really nice snowmobile because they were too expensive, you'd go play volleyball in the gym. So that's what my friends and I would do. And I think a, a gentleman who I've not mentioned in a long time, but you you took me back with your question. Harry Coop was, was his name and he was our principal of the school. And I think partly because he got tired of driving over to the school to open it and partly <laughs> as a message to me one day he called me into his office. I was in grade 12 and he said, Hey, Myron, I got something for you. And he slid me a key to the school. And wow. you know, this is back. This is like, Kevin probably can't do this now with legalities and everybody <laughs> suing everyone else, but yeah. I'll never forget. I'll never forget him sliding that key across the table and said, don't make me regret this, but stop, <laughs> stop phoning me for volleyball on <laughs> Sunday afternoons. And I, 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 I guess I was reminded of that recently when somebody talked, asked me, they did ask me about my new book, which we can get to later. And I think I just had an awful lot of empowerment in, in working with, 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 with educators like Mr. Coop. And I think that's one of the reasons I, I sought out education. Uh, I wanted to coach volleyball. Um, I wanted to teach, uh, and, and schools were a good place for me overall. So I guess that's why I'm here. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just that, that principal sliding that key across to you, how, how cool of a story is that? I mean, obviously there, there's uh, an immense amount of trust there and you don't typically do that to a student who's, <laughs> who's not worthy of it. But I mean, just the memory for you, uh, looking back on that, I think it's a good, uh, you know, just a good nod to, you know, anything that we can do in our classroom to, you know, give, give students that little, that little extra amount of trust, you know? Um, well, you know, when it's, it's funny you say it because I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you from a, from my vice principal office right now. I'm sitting in Summerland secondary. If you, if you hear the din of students behind, it's because they're just leaving for the day. I love and it. you know, I, I actually, I actually had this chat with a student the other day. Um, now that it, because of COVID I've, I've got this role here in the school, which, which I haven't had in a few years. And I kind of said the same thing to him. He had gotten into it with a teacher that he really, really liked. And I said to the student, like, I kind of reiterated that that key story to him and just said, you know, I think what you're doing is you're building relationships and you're building trust. And don't ever forget that here. Like, I think it's more than the fact that you maybe maybe made a poor decision and the teacher kind of got frustrated with you. Is that the person, do you not like that? He's, oh, I really like him. I really like him. Well, then I think what we have to teach is, is that mutual respect and the mutual piece to that. I, I, I think Mr. Coop, when he slid me the key, just to go back to him one more time, I think that's what he was getting at, you know, that this is don't, don't make me regret this. Uh, I'm going to trust you. And I mean, there's not, there's no force on the planet that would have, that would have made me regret, have him regret that. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, of course. Yeah. Like if anybody had said, Hey, Myron, you got a key. Let's do this. Not a chance. Are we going to exploit that key? Like, <laughs> of course, I would sooner remove my teeth with a set of pliers than, <laughs> than um, then do something wrong with that key. Yeah, so. no, that, that's incredible. So, um, yeah, so coming out of, of high school, then you said you went 
uh, went to university for education. You wanted to coach volleyball and, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of similarities there between coaching and teaching, you know, um, that's, that's not an uncommon thing. And I think uh, I wanted to flash back earlier. You said, uh, that you, you did better at university, uh, than you did in school. And I don't think that's an uncommon thing either. Like you you said, the the statistics say otherwise, but oftentimes, you know, you kind of go through high school without too much of a focus, but then in college you get to specialize into something. Um, And if you find your stride and you you get to do that in college, um, you know, it it can definitely take off there. But um, yeah, so moving on to uh, university, what what was the subject that you um, went to go uh, to be a teacher of? Well, I think you're right about this part. I specialized in, in uh, particularly in history, um, uh, Western Civ, but even more, more, more focused as time went on into history and geography of the 20th century, and even a lot of it Second World War kind of era and onward, mm-hmm. like post 1945, um, and, and and graduated with a with a major in geography and a minor in history. And uh, almost double minored in economics of all things. <laughs> and I, back in the day, I mean, I had to choose some courses over the phone. And I remembered my brother having taken economics, so I had no idea. I mean, I wasn't exactly sitting down with a lot of counselors at the time and making these decisions. So, oh, my brother took economics. I'll take economics. <laughs> and uh, turned out, it turned out, John, that I think economics was one of the best areas I ever went into. It. It's kind of a marriage for me. It was a marriage anyway of, of social studies meets math. It, mm. it, there were a lot of numbers and number theory, but I really liked that there seemed to be a purpose behind it. Like, um, you know, to discuss the laws of supply and demand and to discuss, you know, uh, equilibrium of, of price and all these things. I loved it. I loved it. Huh. And um, so that was kind of what I took in university mainly and, and took my master's a few years after in educational leadership, um, okay. but well after I've been teaching for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, so my mom, like I said, was, uh, she just transitioned into a new position, but, uh, she's a high school physics teacher for a number of years. And she always said physics was where algebra meets the real world. Uh, so uh, <laughs> a lot of, lot well, of similarities I there. Think, I think there's, your mom is onto something there. Like I took, <laughs> I took physics and, um, to this day, physics remains a class that I love to drift in and out of as an administrators to see what they're up to and what are they taking? Sure. Because, you know, I, I know a physics teacher that has a Angry Birds tournament, you know, at the beginning of the year where they're with the launch, launch That's Angry amazing. Birds. And, yeah. And they're doing, the, they're kind of start talking about the, the calculations of that. So, That's hey, awesome. you know, yeah. if you can get me in a class that's playing Angry Birds, I'm in. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, so getting back to uh, your work. So you, you spend some time as, as a teacher in the classroom. Um, yeah. And, you know, as, as a teacher, we all, we do some sort of assessment, whether it's uh, a formal assessment or just, uh, you know, in passing. Um, so what was it that, you know, you looked at your experience and and the, the work that you were doing, you said, you know what, either I'm doing something that's unique that everybody else needs to hear about, or this isn't working. How do I go about doing something better? You know, where did that process come from? Well, the biggest thing was I was actually kind of surprised and I actually kind of tripped and and stumbled my way into it, to be honest with you. Um, I, I could probably look up the day on the calendar that was pivotal, but I was minding my own business in my <laughs> in my history class when my principal walked in. He said, hey, Myron, do you want to go to a grading conference in Portland, Oregon? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. 
No, that sounds horrible. <laughs> sounds terrible. Like really <laughs> terrible. Um, you know, if, if I would make a, a brochure on boredom, I would have the first page <laughs> being a, a grading conference. And, and, um, and so, so I'm like, no, no, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, he says, no, I think it would be fun. I think you should, I think you should take part. And I'm like, listen, go ask, you know, I think I'll make up a name, but I, whoever the teacher was down the hall, go ask Steven. He's, he's looking for a continuing contract. He says yes to everything. I'm sure he'd love Portland, Oregon and a grading conference. And the guy's name was Bill Bidlake. And Bill says to me, well, that's really too bad for you. I said, don't trust me, Bill. Don't worry about me. He said, no, no, no. It's too bad for you. We we have Portland Trailblazers tickets and there's talk of a brew pub. Uh, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've been wanting to go to a grading conference for quite some time now. Um, and and I, I was just waiting for the opportunity. So let's go. And and not, not, none uh, of that is one word of a lie, but I, I was sitting, I guess what really, really hit me, John, is I was sitting in the back, back of that, of that um, Marriott ballroom when Rick Stiggins <laughs> took the mic. And it's like, I don't know, I talked to people who've been like at a revival meeting or something is what this sounds like, but it's almost like you think the person at the microphone is talking to you, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. I was back there. I was, I may or may not have been, uh, surfing uh, Ikea's website, looking for an armoire. <laughs> and, and Rick Stegan says, I wonder if you could answer three questions. And he said, would your, would your students know where they're going? And if they could answer that, would they, would they be able to say, here's where I'm at now in my learning? And if they could answer those two questions, would they be able to answer the third? And that is, if I know where I'm going and I know where I am now, how do I close the gap? And I looked up for my computer long enough to go, I, I don't actually think I can answer any of those questions. Like I just, yeah. I just start yeah. teaching. I don't really, I don't really lay out the learning outcomes and, and where are they at now? Well, I give them their test scores back and I kind of tell them how they did on the paper. But if you're talking, man, about closing the gap, if you're talking about retesting, I am out. I wish I had never even come here. Even if the pale ale was really good, I, I, I wish I'd never attended because mm. I was very resistant to the idea of retesting. They had no place in my classroom. I was, I was about responsibility and rigor and there's no way that fits mm -hmm. in. But to be honest with you, John, I, I attended a breakout session where they were talking about how to build clear unit plans and clear targets for students. And, mm. and I thought, well, okay, fine. I can do that when I get back to my high school. And I, and honestly, it was domino after domino after that. Like, sure. sure. I, st I, I just, and I could get into more of the details if you want, but there were, you know, students saying no one's ever laid out the learning targets really clearly before a unit. And, and then little by little, I changed other things based on the success that I was having with my initial set of tools. And, um, you know, I didn't, I, like, for instance, I never set out to change my grading, but, but after I made clear unit plans and then I adjusted my tests to fit those all of a sudden, like, taking 10% off because something was late by a day was messing up my own data. So, <laughs> so I, I kind of made grading changes from a selfish point of view. Like this is messing up my, this is messing up what I think where students are at because so when I go into schools now and people go, well, I'm not changing my grading to be nice to kids. I go, well, I wasn't doing it for that reason either. Um, just turns out it's also nice for kids. So, yeah. uh, I don't know. I'm rambling a bit, but I don't know if that answers your question. No. It's kind of, 
Yeah, no, I love it. And I, I mean, it, I love the story. I think that's it's just so relatable. Um, and, you know, part of part of my goal with this podcast now, too, is not only bringing the research from universities down into the classroom, but, you know, reversing that direction, too, and saying, you know, teachers can also take part in in doing some of this research and, and in finding, uh, you know, the things that are working for them and share that with, you know, with the world in, in a credible manner and, you know, in terms of uh, getting stuff published and whatnot. So I just love hearing where, where you came from and, and, you know, where you are now to have two published books that, you know, have, have touched thousands and thousands of teachers, I'm sure. Um, it's just very cool. So, uh, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, this, this idea of, um, you know, get, getting into the assessments, I guess, a little bit more, um, sure. you know, I, I, <laughs> I sit here as as you were saying that those those three things from that uh, the, uh, the gentleman who was on stage. I'm sitting here going thinking about, thinking about my classroom now. I'm going, uh oh, <laughs> I don't know if I can do those three things. Um, so that that uh, I I am sitting here going, hmm. I think I need yeah. to do more. Uh, but yeah, so this idea of of assessment, um, you know, uh, it, it's like I said, it's something that we all do, but, um, you know, you, I think I read, uh, one of the things that you want to do is, is kind of out with the old in with the new, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and completely coincidentally, I don't know if you know who, uh, Mark Rober is, uh, he's a YouTube, YouTube, um, channel, but he does a whole bunch of like science experiments with his YouTube channel, but he has a Ted talk that I just coincidentally saw, uh, two days ago that, um, he talks about uh, what he calls the Mario effect. So it's taking a task and turning it into a game. Um, and, oh, yeah. you know, uh, but in, in Mario, there's, you don't talk about the failures. You talk about, you know, talk with your friends, you talk about how to get to the next level, right? What yeah. are, what are all the steps to success? And the way that he was saying that, I, you know, just in my head, I was thinking, well, I know I'm talking to <laughs> Myron about this to, uh, in the next day or two. And, um, you know, I think there's there's a lot of parallels there where with our assessments, you know, it, it shouldn't be about, well, here's the failure, right? right. We, it shouldn't be highlighting the failure. It should be, okay, how do you get to the next step, right? How do you, how do you keep moving forward? So, yeah, you know, I, I really try, and I did this a lot in my, in my latest book. I really try to talk about the real, that, 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 that fictional place out there called the real world, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, as teachers were just so yeah, fond of telling yeah. people about the real world. And yeah. I, sometimes I whisper to teachers going, I, I don't know if you spent a lot of time there. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I tend to, when I'm on flights, I talk to people who actually live in the real world, who, who people who actually <laughs> own businesses and, and yeah. try to conduct themselves in the real world. And I think every once in a while, we'd be a little surprised that, that we're a little, I don't know, we're, we maybe don't have as clear a handle on the place as we, as we sometimes think. And <laughs> speaking about the real world, like, you know, I think back to trying to teach my daughter to ride a bicycle. I, I didn't run behind her yelling out all the things she was doing wrong. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, Hey, yeah, yeah, honey. Yeah. You're start you're starting to lean there. Yeah. Get your foot up where you go. Yeah, yeah, yes. So it's in that moment, I'm being a coach. I'm being, I'm being a teacher. And when people are on that, ragged edge of learning i don't i don't know that being mired in negative in negative terminology really helps them and and i guess one of the things i dive into in my latest work is and you can just you, you can you can check this out in your own school find any uh performance assessment like a rubric find any one you like and just look at the language and and if and chances are the language is negative on the low end low end of that mm-hmm. rubric 
like fails to or cannot or uh, uh, lacks understanding of. Um, and then as you go to the upper end, it's very positive. And I'm sure there's people listening to this right now going, well, yeah. Yeah, but this is probably why there are te- there are, are, are adults out there who don't want to attend parent-teacher interviews. They don't want to go anywhere near a school. Their entire educational experience was mired in negative language. Sure. And, you know, people like yourself and myself who, who end up gravitating back to a school, I think we had some positive experiences there. Yeah, and, and I just think, you know, when you mentioned negativity, I, I think we have a little bit of work to do in that area. And, and all I'm saying is instead of lacks understanding of, you could say with support is able to, it's just another way of saying that. But it but it leans to something a little more positive. Yeah. Um, I, I think I've, I've heard it a couple of times, um, either in talks about grit or resilience or something that toddlers don't <laughs> don't learn how to walk. You know, babies don't learn how to walk based on you know here's here's the steps to do it. They just try it and they fail and they try it and they yeah. they just keep going until they're successful. And as parents, you don't sit there going, well, minus minus point for stumbling there. You know. <laughs> It's mm-hmm. the natural progression for, for human learning is is to do it through failing. And um, I, I like uh, one of the quotes that uh, you had on, I think it was on your website, was um, the, the origin of the word assessment is actually from the Latin to sit beside. And I mm-hmm. think even just that, you know, is, is a great image for saying, you know, assessment should be uh, a way of guiding students to the learning as opposed to um, being punitive. So let's let's dive into your most recent book, um, which uh, just released in January. So congratulations on that. Thank um, you. Yeah. Uh, again, titled uh, "Giving Students a Say," um, and you know there, there's so many so many things that we could cover in this. Um, but uh, is there something that uh, in this book you think is is an actionable step that teachers can turn around and start changing tomorrow? Oh, there's many of them. I tried, uh, you know, I started off with with grading smarter, not harder, and kind of kept the same idea into this book that there are tools you could use tomorrow. Um, plenty of of templates and plenty of resources. And and I will say now, just in case I don't later, if you go to my website and you uh, navigate to the book, every single chapter has all of the templates downloadable in Word or PDF or whatever. So. Um, and that you don't even have to buy the book to get at those. So I just wanted people to know that those resources are there. Awesome. You know? Thank you. Yeah, we will we will link those in the show notes. Yeah, perfect. Um, oh boy. I mean, it's more like where to start. Uh, I, I I think overall, what I want to encourage the reader to consider is what's their elevator pitch for assessment. What if if in in the time it would take in an elevator to go from one floor to the other. And someone said, so you, you do a lot of assessment, hey, like grading and reporting and all that. Yeah. Why? You know, however, somebody would answer that question in a short period of time is something to work on, you know, and, and, and mine for the book centers around, you know, incorporating student choice and voice in the assessment of their learning. Because if we are indeed sitting beside, then then what does assessment look like if we're sitting beside someone as opposed to across the table from, you know, where you're, where you're pointing out, here's where you met the, here's where you met the standard or the learning objective. Here's where you didn't. Mm-hmm. Or are we actually a team where 
where we're going to strategize as to how we can best tackle this together. And, and on that note, um, boy, I'll think of, I'll think of uh, a resource that's in the book just comes to the top of my mind is, is uh, I looked at Tolisano and Hale's work around um, the iceberg analogy of reporting your learning. So if you consider an iceberg to have that little tip above the, above the water mm-hmm. that everybody sees. And I think for a long time in education, we've been focusing our assessment on that, what everybody already knows. Whereas what they encourage when you, especially in digital portfolios, um, um, portfolios of learning is to go. So what's underneath the surface that nobody else, that nobody can see what's a, they have some suggestions. What's an aha moment. What's a, what's a turning point in your learning. What's a moment of frustration or success that really played a pivotal role. And, and, and that's an interesting way of looking at self-assessment and self-reporting. Yeah. And then you, and then you look over, you look over around, uh, around society. And next thing you know, um, you know, our top university here in British Columbia, University UBC is, is asking students to do a personal portfolio on who they are as a learner. And they're not asking students to discuss their transcript. They say, we already have your grades. What we want you to do is tell us what's below the surface. Tell us, tell us what learning is like for you. Tell us somebody who's had a big impact on you and and why you want to be a student at our school well it's happening all over the place john and i know that you focus a lot on on research and universities and there's an example of an idea we're using in our district right now at grade three and i'm seeing evidence of it uh for ubc admissions you know so there's there's one i mean i got dozens if you want to hear a lot around (laughs) yeah i mean uh, i mean just the the i think for so long. And, you know, you also hear this, the, you know, we, we teach the way we were taught, not the way that we were taught to teach. <laughs> yeah. If that, yeah. if that, if I said that correctly, um, you know, so the assessments that I gave as a first year teacher, and, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not a perfect assessment giver by any, nor uh, am I. Yeah. Um, it's always going to be a, a learning process, but you know, the, the assessments that I gave were the assessments that I was given yeah, as opposed to the assessments that I was taught how to give. Right. Sure. Uh, you know, and it's just, I think it's, you know, we're the education world as a whole is very slow to change. Um, yeah. So this is one of those things where I think assessments, just shifting that mindset and saying, you know, it, the, the outcome of the assessment should not be, here's your grade, right? The, right. the purpose of the assessment should not be, here's where you are in, you know, this zero to 100%, uh, you know, um, level. Right. The, the purpose is to give students a way to show that they've learned and then give you as a teacher information to say, OK, they know this. Let's get to the next thing. Um, and along the way, you can you're able to document, uh, you know, the learning through those assessments. But, um, you know, I think that that shift in the mindset is something that we're seeing a lot more of, uh, you know, in the last I mean, it's always been changing, I'm sure, but you know, I'm only a six year yeah. teacher. So um, you know, I, I'm definitely seeing it. Can I touch on that? Go for it. So you kind of just articulated the next, the shift that occurred for me after I made those unit plans. Like this was exactly it. I, I, I made these clear learning targets for my students and it was based on what I'm supposed to be teaching in British Columbia. But then what I did is I looked over at my unit tests and guess what? They are designed the way that I had experience testing when I was a student. 
uh, section one, true and false, section two, fill in the blank, section three, do a map exercise. But here's the deal. When I had a unit plan design that said, I can understand the uh, forces at play for nations as they entered the Paris Peace Conference, let's say. Well, Mm. a true and false section doesn't tell me that unless that true and false section is perhaps only on that topic. So what I, what I did first in my, in, in grading smarter, not harder, I laid out how I began to make my assessments more topical. They, they were, they were engineered to reflect the standards that I was trying to teach or the objectives. And then, and then in the latest book, giving students a say, I, I married that now with, well, what kind of language do we want to speak when we're talking about learning? Like you mentioned zero to 100 scale. Is that honestly the language we want to speak when we're talking about learning? And if you're tempted to say yes to that question, then tell me where else in your learning life outside of a school, Hmm. anywhere where you'd be, you'd be framing it as I'm a 92% in blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Where? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I, we have ski hills here, John. I'm, you may have some ski resorts. Oh, I love in, skiing. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So I, I lived in Colorado I, for three years. So I, uh, right. yeah, definitely, definitely so, enjoy it. So I talked about this because of our local ski hill. And I said, to, I said, I say in the book, you know, if, if you end a day of skiing and you say to your friend, someone says, so how was your, how was your skiing going anyway? And you say, well, I think I'm about a 72.4% skier. <laughs> That's why you have no friends. Right. Like, that, like that's why, that's why nobody wants to hang out with you. Oh, right? okay. Yeah. Stop talking like that. Um, you know, because no one does, it's only yeah. in high, typically only in middle schools and a lot of high schools that people speak about their abilities that way. Um, so, you know, and, and I guess, you know, I can, I can see some eyes rolling and I can be like the gnashing <laughs> of the gnashing of teeth is occurring with some people. And here's any, and I want to come back to something you said before, because I want to be clear on this. You kind of said early in our chat out with the old in with the new. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, that is about what, what I'm trying to do, but not entirely because if someone goes, Myron, I love percentage-based grading and that's what I like. I say, okay, fine, fine. When I was going to school, all the way back to your question earlier, John, about your own schooling experience, I did a lot of memorizing country names and the capital mm-hmm. cities. I did a lot of spelling tests. I did a lot of match uh, 50 states to the, guess what? Guess what? Percentage is Percentage as a way of reporting that works really well. You got 48 Mm -hmm. out of 50 states in their proper location. Wonderful. But guess what? The learning objectives are changing around the world. People don't care if you can recall all the the locations of the 50 states. Sure. (laughs) Right. What they care about are discuss regional discrepancies between, between this region and that region of the United States and what impacts that may have on on political decision. That's an interesting question. Yeah. And you may need to know the locations of states in order to have that conversation. So all I'm saying is if we're going to see a shift in grading language, that shift is mirrored by what we actually want students to demonstrate. And if that is design, create, modify a decision at the state level on this, 
I'm just going to argue that descriptors are probably a little better for that than 94.2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah, it's, um, yeah, no, I, I love that. Um, I think one of, one of the things that, uh, you had mentioned in, uh, either, uh, it was on your keynote or on your website somewhere was, you know, like you said, the bringing in that real world, you know, Facebook was built on feedback and TripAdvisor mm -hmm. was built on feedback. So, mm -hmm. Our assessments with our students, why aren't we, they should be built on feedback from the students, right? What is, you know, um, how, how does that look, you know? So uh, looking at your book to, to kind of wrap up here, um, can you talk on, you know, the title of your book being giving students a say. So how do we give students a say in the assessment process? And what does well, that look like? I, I, from start to finish, uh, what if you co-created some of the targets for a unit with your students? Like, so you, you start a unit, you have lots of structure to it. You're, you are the teacher and you are in charge of that. And I think you should be. But as you start to see students' interests peaked in some areas, could a student consider writing an objective for that unit for themselves? Could you, could you consider it? Um, I had a student years ago who's like, man, why don't you teach more about the mandates and the Paris Peace Conference? They're so interesting. Hmm. It didn't dawn on me back then to say, hey, Trevor, why don't do you want to explore something in that area? And now literally in my unit plans at the end of each section is a blank where the student can fill in a unit plan, uh, sorry, a target that's based on what we're talking about. So if you're like, I want to explore the impact of landmines on, on elephant populations in Africa. Go for it. Because we're already discussing the technological impacts on animals in, in Africa. Mm -hmm. It's not a far stretch to say to a student, do you want to write your own learning target on that? Um, but you know, that's, that's the assessment side. What about, what about self-reporting? And I'm going to give, I'm going to give Xavier the last word here. Xavier was a boy in grade 12 here, I was trying some self-reporting in my classroom, mainly around academics to get students to write how a report on how they think their unit went or how they think their term went. I said, what do you think of the self-reporting that I'm trying in my classroom? I'm just, I was trying to get some quantitative, more qualitative data from students. We got talking about a report card he got in grade nine. And here's a boy, and you're going to think about this, John, like he, he's, like grade nine is a lifetime ago to a grade 12 <laughs> yeah. student, right? And he's like, I should do it. I'll tell you. I remember this report card in grade nine. And I got like a, I wasn't doing great. I got a mark in like the 50s or 60s or something, but it was the work habit. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, I got an N, which means needs to improve effort. And he goes, it's, that N has always bugged me. And I said, why? He says, I came in for help at lunch. I studied at home. I didn't tell the teacher how much I was working at home on my math, but I was trying really, really hard. And then I got my report card and it says needs improvement on effort. And he said, Mr. Duke, I had never put more effort into a class in my life than that mm -hmm. one. And that and has always bugged me. He said, and this is, this is actually a big reason my book exists. He said, what I've never understood is when it comes to my effort, why don't they ask me? And I'm like, wow, that's a darn good question. Yeah. Um, maybe we need to change that. So one of the tools in the book is a bunch of ideas on how we can get students to self-report on disposition, 
effort, attitude towards the class. Um, sometimes they fill in the rings of a tree to show their growth in that area and, and social responsibility. Um, so I, you know what, John, right across the board from our learning targets to setting up a, an ongoing assessment or retest system, all the way to reporting on your own effort. It's just high time we ask the student. And that's, that's the crux of my elevator pitch. It's time to ask them. And uh, in that way, we'll give them a say. I love it. Thank you. Um, now, this, this has been great. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate your time. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you just want to highlight quick? You know, no, not, not really. Other than, okay. other than I, I, I just want to thank, the, I want to thank the multitude of people that have, that I've visited with from all walks of life. They had a huge impact on the nature of my book. And that is where I start every chapter with a real world or a, or an outside of school kind of account. And I, I want to shout out to, to all the people I meet in all kinds of walks of life to say, oh yeah, that's true. Like, like a tiler who told me, you know, man, we have standards in tiling. You can't just do whatever the heck you want with a floor. So next thing you know, I'm looking up tiling standards. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, that's true. They, they, they sure. have to meet a set of standards. Or, Restaurant ah, yeah. cleanliness. Yeah, totally. There's a, there's a benchmark to this. So I don't know. That's just kind of what's on my mind. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. So let's move then into our exit ticket questions. So these yep. are the same four questions that I ask everyone at the end of each episode. And the first one is, do you have a book recommendation that teachers can go check out? And this can be your book if you would like. <laughs> well, I think I've spoken enough about giving students a say or the other one. They're, they're more than welcome to go check that out. I'm going to give a shout out to um, Adam Morgan and Mark Barden's book, A Beautiful Constraint. Mm. Um it's not an education book per se, but I built my leadership curriculum this year around that book hmm. because man, if we weren't in a constraint from COVID, what the heck were we in? And yeah. they make the, they make the argument that constraints are a good thing that we, we push up against constraints and they make us better. They make us stronger and they make us way more creative there. That's my, that's my push. Uh, yes. And I I've heard that before that, uh, you know, creativity is, is, or, uh, invent or goodness, I'm going to say this wrong. Necessity is the mother of all invention. Is that what it is? Yeah, so, oh no, for sure. Um, and, and creativity is the same way. If you're just given a blank canvas and saying, okay, complete. You go, yeah. Oh no, <laughs> there's way yeah. too many options. Yeah. That constraint is, is actually super important to creativity. Uh, and oh, as a music I, I, you know, it's I, I do that all the time. If I just if I just give them oh. say, here you go, eight bars, write write a song, the kids going, well, uh, um, uh, okay. But if I say, yeah. okay, choose one of these three rhythms, use it at least twice. Yep. And you can only use pitches C, D, and E. Boom. And all of a sudden, whoop, there's you know 20, 20 different songs in my classroom. So well, yeah, constraints well, are great. It, it's funny you mentioned the arts because they really go there. Like like they mentioned uh, improv. How funny. What makes improv funny is ridiculous constraints. You know, uh, mm. you're a nurse, uh, you're a plumber, uh, you have to solve a Rubik's cube. Go, and it's like <laughs> it's, it's it's nothing but constraints, and we laugh at it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, these uh, were supposed to be quick ones, so I'll. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. Uh, so question number two then is, uh, what resource would you suggest teachers should go check out? I'm going to mention two, uh, on the lines of 
a beautiful constraint. I think people should listen to Terry O'Reilly's podcast, Under the Influence. We have all grown up with advertising, advertising, advertising. And every time I listen to his podcast, there is something that bridges over to my teaching about it. Something I bring up in my class, uh, direction we go. Um, love Terry O'Reilly, super entertaining. Uh, look up, look up his podcast under the influence. And I'm going to say a shout out to my publisher, ASCD. Uh, I don't give them enough credit for the website they have going and the study mm-hmm. guides for their books and, and a lot of links and so on. I, I, I think they do tremendously good work. Uh, non, a not-for-profit that's been around for a long, long time, ASCD. I'd check them out. Yeah. And we will have, uh, as always, we'll have everything uh, mentioned linked in the show notes, but it took me forever to know what ASCD stood for. And I think I'm still going to get this wrong, but it's Association of Supervisors and Curriculum Development. I think it's something like I'm, that. I, I'm going to say yes. And they, <laughs> and, they, are my, they are my publisher as I slowly <laughs> open the book. And but I took, it, it takes forever out. to find it on their website. That would be the one edit. Like, what does ASCD stand for? Please let us know. Yeah, and I would say they are. Um, um, I think that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, I, I haven't called you in time. <laughs> yes, I believe they are. But, yeah, <laughs> they do. They've got so many great resources, so many great books. Obviously, they've got a whole publishing section. Uh, the a magazine. Um, yeah, the I I didn't even know about them until about a year and a half ago, and and they've yeah. been check out check out El stuff. magazine in particular. They yeah. were my start, and very yeah. short, to the point reader friendly um uh articles usually around a theme of course for their for their magazine you know uh mm-hmm. teaching with you know uh the last one was making professional learning stick the whole the whole issue is on how do we make professional learning stick and then the next one will be um teaching teaching uh, at risk uh students or yeah, sure. how do we blend technology it's just it's a really good resource yeah and their and their email newsletter is fantastic as well so yeah, yeah. ASCD awesome uh, question number three, then, is what piece of advice would you like to give teachers, maybe particularly teachers who are just starting out their careers? You know, I'm going to say it took me way too long to recognize that I kind of needed an overall rudder for my decisions, like the, mm. like what a, what a rudder would be on a boat. When I first started teaching, I was kind of all over the place. Well, okay, here's some assessments I'm into, and here's, and here's kind of how I'm going to teach this course, and, and those are all good things. But what took me a little too long to figure out was kind of this overall elevator pitch to my purpose, because mm-hmm. there are so many things you will figure out once you, once you have a clear purpose. And if that purpose is I'm going to, um, I'm going to, to include student voice and choice in in my assessments, great. All of a sudden, you're going to have a bunch of decisions that get figured out for you because that's kind of my mission. That's my goal. And that's your constraint. Exactly. And and if you're getting into a testing situation or you're giving some tests back, go, how, hang on, hang on. My rudder was student voice mm-hmm. and choice. Okay. And then the next thing you know, you're going to be designing things that way. And I, I think I just needed an overall rudder a little sooner um, mm-hmm. if I could go back. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And uh, along that same line, uh, if you haven't read it, Start With Why uh, by Simon Sinek is a fantastic book. And he's got a TED talk on it as well. Um, I'll have to link that. Yeah, that was a um, I got introduced to him when I was in college and uh, the the, uh, 
college organization that I was the president of when I was a senior, we watched that video and we kind of revamped, you know, what was the purpose of our, of our little group there. So um, Simon Sinek and start with why fantastic stuff. We'll, we'll link that. Well, well, and, and do link. And I mentioned him in my first chapter and, and my latest keynote, uh, what educators could learn from advertising. I, I look at Simon Sinek, but then I go over to Southwest airlines, like South, like Southwest airlines flies planes and they fly people. But you go to the why of what they do. Like, what do yeah. they do? They fly people. How? Planes. Why? To make your customer experience feel rewarding and valued. And then they make all kinds of decisions based on that. Yeah. And if that means that they hear about a grandfather who's rushing to, to get there before they pull the life support on his grandson, guess what? They hold the plane. Yeah. And, and it's an amazing story. And I, I actually bumped into Ontario Riley's podcast and, and I'm like, holy smokes, they held the plane for him. And the pilot was waiting for the guy going, I hear you're having a really, really difficult time in your family. Let's go. And the guy should have missed his plane by 20 minutes, but the pilot's going, no, 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 no. This plane doesn't go anywhere without me. And I'm not going anywhere without you. Hmm. Is that does yeah. like, if that doesn't put some wind in your sails. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Fantastic. You know? Anyway, a lot of, a lot of, yeah. A lot of great stuff there. So anyway, question number four and the final question is if anybody has any questions or just wants to reach out to you, uh, where would be the best place to send them? Uh, it's pretty simple. I'm not on all the platforms. I, I, I'm on my mountain bike a fair bit with my kids. I, <laughs> I do not have time to be on every, uh, every digital platform out there. And I'm also encouraging teachers not to either. Like just sw- turn off, switch off sometimes. There's an, there's an ed chat every night of the week. Um, anyway, (laughs) you know, can't you just go sit in a canoe and find a river? Um, Mm. so, so, but, but speaking of which they can, all of us live in a valley in these beautiful Rocky (laughs) mountains. Could you go, could you go for a walk, John? (laughs) Yes. yes, Go look at a butterfly. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) crying out loud. Um, so you can find me at Myron Duick on Twitter. You can find me real simple www.myronduick.com and there you'll find my email which is also super simple myronduick at gmail.com um or heck go to google and put down myron and you're there's not that many of us on the planet you'll probably find me if you put duick after that d-u-e-c-k you're in uh there's very few Myron Duicks on the planet. I can assure you. (laughs) There's also very few John Ruths. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you try one of a kind. (laughs) You try finding a keychain or a mug that says Myron, just go, you try. Okay. I'm sure I can find John. Uh, You can, (laughs) you can. (laughs) Uh, Well, yes. Myron Duick. Oh my goodness. Thank you. This has been so much fun. I appreciate your time. Thanks for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. And there you go. Obviously, a big thank you to Myron Dueck for joining me all the way from British Columbia. Uh, man, it was just a fun conversation. I hope you heard it. Uh, we just seemed to connect really well. Um, and a couple of different things that I got out of this conversation. Um, and obviously, all of these are explained further in his book. But uh, number one is is this idea of the 100% scale. Obviously, we use the, the term percent and we talk about things in percentage. But as a metric for uh, measuring your understanding or your competency in something um, doesn't really exist outside of, you know, the the grading system that we use in elementary school. And I thought that was a just an interesting little take on, uh, you know, just gives us something to think about, you know, why are we using this metric? Why are we using this scale? 
Uh, the second thing is uh, this idea of giving students a chance to, um, when you when you design your unit plans, giving students a chance to fill in their own target, something that they want to search that's within the unit that you're teaching, right? It can't be something completely random, but uh, that turns over some of the responsibility to the students, right? And it helps them engage in the process and it helps them take ownership over their learning. And that's ultimately, hopefully, what all of our goals is, is that our students eventually want to learn the things that we're teaching. Wouldn't that make life so much easier? <laughs> um, and so having that, uh, having that blank in your unit plan where uh, students can fill in their own target. That's just that's one tool to add to your tool belt, right? So if you haven't thought about doing that before, there's an idea for you. Uh, another one along those same lines that um, you know I, I hadn't really considered before, but is it's this idea of allowing students to self-report on different aspects of their grades, right? Um, specifically, what we talked about was effort, you know, that, that student that uh, Myron gave and saying, you know, I tried really hard in this class and I still got a poor effort grade. Uh, that's something that, you know, as as teachers, we kind of have that responsibility maybe to check in with our students and say, hey, here's where I feel like your effort level was. Where do you feel like it was? And and getting some feedback from students. And, you know, you do have to take it with a grain of salt because there are obviously going to be some students who are going to try to slip one by you. But um, at least having that feedback and saying, you know, Okay, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what you're telling me. There's probably some middle ground that we can uh, come to something that's a little more equitable for for everybody in the in the situation. So um, that was one more. And then the last one that uh, you heard me in the episode that got really got me thinking were uh, those three questions from uh, the um, the speaker that he, uh, Rick Rick Stegen, I think is the name. Um, those three questions the if you weren't there, would your students know where they're going? And if they can answer that, would they be able to say, here's where I am now? And if they can answer that, if I know where I'm going and I know where I am now, how do I get there? How do I close that gap? Uh, those three questions, I, you heard me. I was, I was sitting there going, um, I'm not sure my students can answer that. <laughs> uh, and so that's something that I need to go back and I need to address. Um, because, you know, if... If you're not there, it's it's all about turning that responsibility again back to the students, right? And saying, hey, here's the layout for what the plan is. And once they know that layout, then you can, you know, help them get there uh, when they know how to get there too. So, wow. Yeah, just a, a bunch of different takeaways. Hopefully one of those resonates with you a little bit. Uh, it'll allow you to go back and reflect a little bit on your current teaching situation, on your current grading system, on your current assessments and the way that you give them and the reason for giving them. And uh, yeah, go check out again that that Simon Sinek video. Fantastic. Uh, Start with why. The book is fantastic. Um, a lot. I just felt like there was a lot of fantastic stuff in this episode and I hope you did too. So uh, before I set you loose, though, I wanted to remind you that everything that we talked about on this episode can be found on our show notes page. Go to jabadoo.com slash show 34. You will also be able to find links to all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Check us out on there. Uh, sign up for our email newsletter. We would love to have you be a part of that. And then last but not least, if you want to support this show, 
uh, buy one of the books through the affiliate links or go check out one of those Jabadoo original teacher tees. Super comfortable. They're not just t-shirts. You can get uh, long sleeve or sweatshirts too. A couple different options, but go check those out. And that will do it for me. So until next time, you know what to do. Go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information was beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice. And that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content and it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you. I appreciate you. And I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast.